So tonight we're looking at church attendance in John chapter 20, and I'm going to read verses 19 through 29. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. When he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see his hand, his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, faithless but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing you might have life through his name. So as we think about it, the purpose, plan of church attendance, uh, tonight, and the first thing we see here is the encouragement of the of the of the church. Uh, in in verses nineteen to twenty one, you have the disciples are gathered together, and Jesus appears to them. And twice in those two verses, he says, "Peace be unto you." So he repeats himself. Uh, it's obvious that the disciples were discouraged and scared, afraid. They didn't know what they were going to do. They didn't know what the Romans would do. They were afraid of the Romans. Uh, they were afraid of the Jews. You know, we know from uh, uh, one of the other Gospels that they met the doors being shut for fear of the Jews. So they were discouraged, and Jesus shows up and in the midst of them and says, Peace to be unto you. And, he, and again, he says it twice. You know, you, we live in a, a world that is opposed to God and, and, uh, and, and therefore opposed to us living for God in it. And sometimes, you know, you can get discouraged and fearful because of things that are going on in the world. And the best place to hear the voice of God and the encouragement of the Lord is in the Lord's church. It's in the Lord's church. Look at Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. John says, I was in the spirit of the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia and under Ephesus, 
unto per Smyrna, uh, Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. When I saw him, I felt his feet as dead. He laid his hand, right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of death and hell. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter, and the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And verse 1 says, Under the angel of the church of the Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, which, and who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So a lot of things we see here from this passage of Scripture, and, and really, as you think about it, he's telling us, you know, the last couple of verses there tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ dwells in his churches. His presence is there uh, by the Spirit of course, and so his presence is there meeting with us in his churches, and uh, so he's walking in the midst of them, and this is the one who, who uh, is the Alpha and the Omega, the, mega, the, the beginning, the first and last, the beginning and the ending, so we, we, we understand that the sovereign God who knows all things from A to Z, uh, uh, from past to present to future, is dwelling with us. And we can receive instruction from him. Um, he's the one who gives us, helps us with right judgment. You know, he's like a judge. His hairs were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes flame of fire. His, his feet were like undefined brass, speaks of judgment as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. So you, you hear the voice of God. It's, it's a powerful voice because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So when his word is preached and proclaimed, you get the sense that it's coming from God himself. And it causes us to submit. Verse 17 says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. It's a symbol of submission, surrender. But he tells us, fear not, I'm the he that liveth, and I'm alive forevermore. You know, I have the keys of death and hell. And so, this is the one that, that dwells among us, and when we come together, we have the assurance of Christ's presence with us, and we can hear his voice through the preaching of his word and declaring of the truth of his word. For his word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 is, is uh, applicable here uh, when it says, let us hold fast, Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not, for assembling the assembling, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much more, 
so much the more as you see the day approaching. So again, the idea here is we're to, we, when we come together, we consider one another and we encourage one another. Of course, again, uh, through you know we, we, we challenge each other, we're challenged by the word of God, and, and so we receive encouragement. The greatest encouragement we can receive is in the Lord's church. It's, it's there we come together and hear the word of God declared. Of course, he's manifested his word through preaching. And, and, and so, so that's, that's the best place to hear the word of God. The second thing we see here, there's the enlistment of the church. So that's the encouragement of the church, the enlistment of the church. In verse 21 of John 20, he says, Then said Jesus unto them, he said, Peace, again he says, Peace be unto you. Don't be over anxious, don't be concerned about this. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. So just like the Heavenly Father sent me in the world with a purpose, he's gone now, I'm going to send you into the world. Now, and he, and he, and he qualifies that with, peace be unto you. Now, they're probably thinking, oh yeah, we know what happened to him. So if we get sent in the world, is that, what, is that what's going to happen to us? But he says unto them, peace be unto you. And I, and I think he's trying to remind them, look, yeah, I, I was crucified. But that was God's will, my father's will. However, I was not crucified until I allowed it. You see... They tried to put him to death sooner on many occasions. Luke chapter 4, even in the synagogue. He opened a book, read from Isaiah's prophet, and then he said something to the fact that, you know, in the days of, of uh, Elijah, uh, he didn't find such great faith. He had to go to a widow at Septa and, and so on, and a few other things he said there. And it made them so mad. They drove him out of the ta- out of the synagogue and headed for the hill down, uh, beside the synagogue and intending to throw him down head first and kill him. And he, walking through the midst of them, so passed by. You see, I think what he's trying to tell us is, look, yeah, I've enlisted you. I've enlisted you, but when I enlist you. You're here for my purpose, not to serve the world's purpose. You're here to do my bidding, and until I'm finished with you, no one is going to harm you. So, peace. You know, th- again, they're in a, they're, their circumstance right now is they're discouraged and they're afraid. And from worldly appearances, that's understandable. But he's given them this command, look, peace, there's going to be peace unto you, and as my Father has sent me, and he sent me to be a sacrifice for sin, but was not a sacrifice for sin until it was his time. You know, and he gave his life, no man took it. And no man will be able to take your life until it's their time to do so. And of course, you know, all from what we understand, all the disciples were martyrs except John. And and John 
died a natural death, although he did uh, receive persecution. But this, this, was, uh, this was, of course, this statement here, so send I you, is a, uh, a repeat from chapter 17, verse 18, where he also said to them before in his Lord's Prayer, that he also said, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And so this was their purpose. And this was their purpose in his training. This is what he spent three and a half years preparing them for. So that just as the father had sent him to, with the message and the, and the way of salvation, he, he is the way, now they are going to go with the message of salvation pointing the way through Christ. And so this was what this was their his purpose in his training. In fact, you know that's the purpose of the church today. Look at Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four is the enlistment and the enablement of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Ephesians four verse eleven says he gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, under the perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head of in Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, I want you to think about verse 13 through verse 16 in particular and apply it to the 12 prior to the crucifixion. And ask yourself, did they have perfect knowledge of the Son of God? No. Did they, did they vacillate back and forth from believing him to not believing him? Yeah, they did. Did they, did they act like children at times, bickering and arguing amongst themselves? Oh, yeah, they did. In fact, you know, James and John's mother actually came to them and asked, came to the Lord and asked him, can my son sit on the right hand and the left hand in your kingdom? And the rest of them were, were angry. Uh, and he sets a little child in their midst. Says, except you come like little children. Cannot inherit the kingdom of God. No, they, they, they argued and bickered amongst themselves. They opposed him at times. You know, Jesus said he was going to be crucified, and Peter said, not so, Lord. And, and he had to tell him, get behind me, Satan. Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. So this, is the, this was the way they were. And see, he spent that three and a half years getting all that out of them. What you don't find after the resurrection is them fighting and bickering amongst themselves. Not one instance. Not once. Their focus has changed. Now they've become mature. 
and and they speak the truth in love. They've grown up, so to speak. They're working together as a unit. And see, they've realized, look, it's not about us anymore. It's about him. It's not about us. It's not about what position I have in the church or on the pastoral staff. It's about him. And no matter what position I may have in the church, I can be a witness for him. I can make our body uh, uh, grow together and edify itself, no matter what position I have in the body. I can further the ministry. It's not about us. It's about him. See, they had a a different mindset now. They had the mindset of Christ. As Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery of equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. He saw himself as a servant. See, they're not, no longer saying, Well, you know, I want to be, I want to sit on the right hand and I want to sit on the left hand in the kingdom. They're just saying, Oh, I just want to be a servant. I just want to serve the Lord. I don't care what I get. I'm not concerned about what I get in the kingdom. You know, when the Lord returns in his kingdom, I just want to serve the Lord. And I'll let the Lord take care of all that. They had a different mindset. And, and so this is the enlistment. You know, this is what he enlists us for, to be sent into the world, to serve the risen Christ, not to serve self. Not to exalt self. Third thing we see here is, of course, the empowering of the church, verses 22 and 23. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, and whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. So he's now empowering them to do the work that he has passed on to them, or is passing on to them to do. And, of course, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, of course, in Acts, he, t- he tells them to wait until the Spirit, uh, the, the, demonstra- the Spirit uh, indwells them. But he says, Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. Now, he told them previously in John 16 the purpose of the coming of the Spirit. In John 16, verses 7 through 15, he tells them the purpose. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you. In other words, it's better, more profitable for you if I go away. Now, they couldn't fathom that. They didn't understand. How can it be better if you're gone? You're our Lord. And you're going to leave us and you say it's going to be better for us? They didn't understand that then. But they will. You know what? There's a lot of things we don't understand that the Lord tells us. We just need to trust him. We just need to trust him. Because he is always right. And he is always for our best interest. So he tells them, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go, to no, go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. 
And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So, so the spirit of God is going to convince or convict the world of sin. So he's going to convince them of their sin. Their, their separation from God. That their sin separates from the God. That they're in trouble with God. Now, but understand, who is the vessel that takes the Spirit of God into the world? Who is the, what is the vessel through whom the Spirit of God works? It's his church. The members of his church. See, he says... I will send him unto you. And he, and when he is come, he will reprove the world's sin. So he's in you, and as we go into the world, he through us will convict the world of sin. As we give out the truth of the word of God, the Spirit of God uses that, bears witness through us of the truth of the word of God and convicts the world of sin. Of righteousness, that God is righteous and they are guilty. They are condemned before God. And of judgment, that there is a judgment to come. They, they are going to face the judgment. You know, all these things the Spirit of God convicts sinners of. Again, through us. He will, it is the Spirit of God that converts sinners. John 3, 5, Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot... Enter into the kingdom of God. And verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So the Spirit of God is the one that brings conversion, and that conversion, it also requires a human agent to give out the word. You know, God didn't have to send a human to Cornelius. He could have gave him the gospel through an angel. But he didn't. He didn't. You know, the gospel, the beginning of a gospel came through a man. His name was John. And then Jesus took it up, taught his 12 disciples, and those 12 disciples trained others, taught others, and others were converted, and then thousands, it became thousands and thousands, and it began to spread, and it spread all around the world. But it's been through human agent. Well, you may say, well, I know somebody got saved by a tract. Who put it there? It's all through human agents. It's what God uses. And he uses the Spirit of God to conform men to himself, notice verse 13 of John 16 says, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he will receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. And so the spirit of truth, when he, he, he guides us that are saved into all truth. He teaches us and conforms us to the image of here's their son. You see, this is the, the empowering of the church. 
And again, this is all done. The Spirit of God does this, but he does this through human agents. Men and women. And of course, this was given to his church. Verse 23 says, Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This, this brings it out very clearly here. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul writing the church of Corinth says, For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? He says we. Now, it's the Spirit of God that uses we as that savor. We have the message of life. But if a person turns away from the truth and does not accept it, it becomes a message of death, eternal death. Now, the message isn't different. It's just the response that is different. But it comes, becomes the, the message of death. that They realize, you know, they, they have to realize now that they're eternally condemned. And we've been given that power. We've been uh, empowered with a message, that message of life and death. And it's through us that the Spirit of God convinces and convicts the world of its sin, of its need. And so we see the encouragement, the enlistment, the empowering. Then the fourth thing we see here is the exception. The exception. Verses 24 and 25 says this, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Your Thomas missed the service. He missed the service. He missed the service, so he missed the encouragement. He's still in doubt. He's still in fear. He's still discouraged. He said, I just don't believe it. I don't believe it. You know, we don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us where Thomas was or what Thomas was doing. But, you know, if I was to read between the lines, and considering chapter 21, I would say that probably Thomas was out making preparations for what he's going to do next in life or looking around. The Lord's gone. And his response was when they told him, when they told him that they had seen him, well, I won't believe it unless I see him. Even though, even though 
they all had been told prior to the crucifixion that they would see him again. Remember that. They had all been told on more than one occasion that they would see him again. In fact, let's look at that. John chapter 16. John chapter 16. And verse 16. A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to my Father. Now, some say this is talking about the second advent, but I don't think a little while is 2,000 years. I don't think that's what he's referring to here when he says a little while. I think he's referring to, you know, I'm going to be crucified. I'm, I'm going to be buried three days and three nights, and I'm going to be resurrected. I'm going to go to my Father, and then I'm coming back, and I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to see you. Yeah, we don't know exactly how long that was, but I believe within four or five days he had met with some of them. Because he met with, he saw Mary at the graveside before he ascended to the Father and told her to go tell my brethren and I will meet them in Galilee. So I believe within a week he saw them. So he's telling him this. And then verse 17, it says, Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. And because I go to my Father. They said, Therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while. We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him, and said unto them, Do you inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while, and ye shall not see me? And again, a little while, and ye shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament. But the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful. But your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is to prevail, has sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man, bo man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Now, just as a side note here, no woman's labor is 2,000 years long. Right, ladies? Hmm. Be no kids if there was. Uh, no, it's a little while. Now, it seems like an eternity when it's happening, but it's a little while. It's a short time. And so he's saying, in a short time, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. See, he told them that. Matthew 26, also. And, of course, this is other places, but Matthew 26, verse 31, again. Then saith Jesus unto them, Ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, Yet will I never be offended. Jesus saith unto him, Verily I send to you that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. So they're not, they're not really listening to what he's saying. They've got their own ideas of what they're going to do. And it's obvious that they missed the encouragement he gave them before he was crucified. That, hey, 
yes, I'm going to go away for a little while, but in a little while you're going to see me again. After I'm risen from the dead, he told him that. You know, that's why we need the consistent encouragement. Because we're right there in the world and things happen and it looks bad. And we can get discouraged and tend to forget the promises of God. You know, the children of Israel forgot the God's promise from the time the Red Sea opened up and they got through and the Egyptians were all drowned to the time they got to the borders and were supposed to go in, you know, and it wasn't very long time at all. They already forgot his promises. They said, no, we can't go in there. Because our God's not able. What'd they do back there? And so Thomas, he missed the service. He missed the encouragement. He missed the enlistment. He, he didn't hear Jesus say unto him twice, peace be unto you. Don't be over anxious. Don't worry. You're in the hand of God. You're in the hand of my Father. And though this world is filled with tribulation, nothing can happen to you unless my Father allows it. He missed the empowering. Jesus said, breathe on them the Holy Spirit, and he wasn't there. And he missed seeing the Lord working to encourage his disciples. He missed it. You see, it's easy for us human beings to begin to waver in faith. I've yet to see a person quit church and not digress in their faith in God. It always happens. Because it's in the Lord's church where his people are encouraged. It's in the Lord's church where they're challenged. It's in the Lord's church where the Spirit of God conforms them. It's where the, in the Lord's church where they are empowered, encouraged, and strengthened in their walk with the Lord. And so this is the importance of church attendance. It is vitally important it's vital to our continuance in our walk with the Lord. But we have to determine we're going to follow Christ. Don't be like Thomas saying, well, except I see him. But you know, if you're in his church, you can see him working in the lives of people. And so, that's the purpose of the church. It is a vital part of the Christian life. If we want to grow, if we want to progress, if we want to be greatly used to the Lord, it can only be done as we're faithful in the church the Lord has established for that purpose.
for our growth and for our encouragement in his service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time we were tonight. We thank you for this examples you've given us, this instruction concerning the importance and the plan of your church and its purpose in our lives. I pray that you'd help us as your people here at Lighthouse Baptist Church to see the importance of it. And, uh, Father, just to be faithful, allow you to uh, use it to further our growth, our working together for the furtherance of the gospel, uh, both here and around the world. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.